Chapter One, Part Two of Our Search for a Wilderness by Mary Blair Beebe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The fishes attracted our attention from the first. When we came on deck before sunrise for a plunge, our little vessel would be surrounded by hosts of catfish, Pseudonipterus nodosus, all like our sloop headed upstream against the tide. They would bite indifferently at bait, a bit of cloth, or a bare hook, and were delicious eating. On the bottom, our hooks would sometimes be taken by great fierce whiskered cats, bedecked with long streamers, which gave no end of trouble before they were quieted. They were pale yellow, and the head and back were encased in bone. Maestro, the cook, called them the crucifix fish, and later showed us why. On the under surface of the bony armor is a large cross with a halo about it just above the arms. The crew never caught one of these fish without making the sign of the cross in their right palm. When the tide was half down, the funniest of puff fishes, Calomesis Cytacus, or tambourines, as the captain called them, would take our bait. They were from three to five inches long, white below, and pale greenish above, crossed by seven black bands, the first across the mouth and the seventh at the tip of the caudal fin. There was also a black patch at the base of the pectoral fins. The iris was bright lemon yellow. When gently scratched on the lower parts, or sometimes even when just lifted from the water, they would swell up into a round ball. They were covered with short, stiff bristles, which stood out on end when the fish was inflated, and their comical appearance was increased by the four rodent-like incisor teeth in the front of the mouth. When thus inflated with air, they were helpless for a time, and if thrown back, floated belly upward at the mercy of the wind and current until they were able to collapse to normal size. On one of our first excursions among the mangroves in our small canoe, we made a most interesting discovery. Here and there, sprawled out on the mudflats, were small crocodiles, and occasionally a large one would rush off into the water at our approach. Hugging the edge of the tide where the ripples lapped back and forth on the black ooze were many other living creatures. For a time, we could not make them out, but finally, drifting silently upon a whole school, we knew them for four-eyed fish, anableps, anableps, strange creatures which we had hoped to see. We came to a tiny bayou, shaped like a bottle, from which four little blue herons flew as we approached. We placed our dugout, cork-like, athwart the mouth, and anchored with our crossed paddles. The air was warm. Bees hummed about the tiny four-parted flowers of the mangroves, and a great blue morpho butterfly flapped past, mirrored in the water beneath. Then came tragedy, never far off in this land of superabundant life. A small clay-colored crocodile made a sudden rush at a ripple, and a quartet of four eyes shot from the water in frantic fear. One was slower than the rest, 
and the fierce jaws of the diminutive reptile just grazed him another fell back downward in the ooze and in a twinkling was caught and dragged into the depths no wonder the poor little four eyes are ever on the lookout for danger and spend most of their time where they merge with the ripples along the shore when such enemies are on the watch for them a whir of wings sounded and a kingfisher alighted within arm's reach but such a kingfisher the veriest might clad in a robe of brilliant emerald and orange so small was he that it seemed as if the tiniest of minnows must choke him he seemed to be of the same opinion for while we watched him he caught only the insects which passed him in mid-air or which were floating on the water by far the most numerous and in their way the most interesting of the mangroves inhabitants were the crabs there were untold millions of them all small all active and keen of vision if we sat quietly they would appear from everywhere peeping out like little gnomes from their perches on the mangroves forever playing their noiseless little fiddles these tiny tree folk not only played but danced let us picture a scene constantly enacted so close to us that we could all but touch the performers two crabs approach each other now fiddling vigorously now waving their diminutive pincers back and forth over their heads as a ballet dancer waves her arms they move never in straight lines but sideways now running back a few steps now forward until at last they meet and each grasping the other's claws raises them aloft and then for five minutes they circle about in most ludicrous imitation of a waltz all this usually takes place on the lower surface of a mangrove trunk the inverted position apparently making no less secure the footing of the little dancers we could not decide whether this performance was in the nature of courtship or just pure play what we did discover concerning the lives of these crabs was full of interest hundreds of the smallest sized ones lived in holes in the mud and when the tide went down they came out and ran about intent on some all-important business of their little existence another class of larger individuals had their holes near the roots of the mangroves one rarely two good-sized crab apparently taking possession of each root here he disported himself running up and down from the water into the air with no change of speed and here strangest of all he grew to resemble his home root there was as great diversity among the roots as among the larger trunks whitish black mottled and all intervening shades it was a fact of which we had hundreds of daily proofs that the crabs were so like their particular root that often we could not detect the quiescent crustacean when within a foot of our faces there was one group of five black roots forming a rough circle about a single mottled root as we approached a crab ran down each stalk into the water 
and as we peered down and saw them go into their holes we could at a glance tell the mottled crab from the five black ones even the roots which were as yet a foot or more above the bottom mud each had their occupant which thus had to swim upward from his hole before he could grasp his swaying perch a third class of crabs lived among the higher trunks and branches of the mangroves and except where there was a high road of some large trunk dipping into the water these less fortunate fellows had to scamper in frantic haste up the roots of their larger brethren the indignant owner would rush at the trespasser with uplifted pincers sometimes forcing him to leap for his life where an unusually large tree was frequented by many crabs their carapaces bore a close resemblance to its pattern and hue but among these more aerial and roving crabs the mimicry was on the whole less striking than among the sedentary class in the latter protective coloration was carried to a greater degree of perfection than i have ever seen it elsewhere these were loath to leave their roots and swim preferring to run swiftly down until they reached the mud this habit made it easy to catch them merely by taking the end of the root aboard and shaking it when the unsuspecting crab would rush down in all haste into a pail or jar held at the bottom they have many enemies not only among fish reptiles and birds but even some of the mammals such as opossums and monkeys catch and devour them in large numbers we saw a beautiful hawk bright chestnut in color with a pale creamy head and black throat dashing at them and skillfully catching the unfortunate crabs in one outstretched foot scores of other beings of still more lowly degree swarmed about us but as the tide lapped out of our little bayou the four eyes again attracted our attention they began to get restless swimming back and forth and shuffling over the mud until at last in desperation at the ebbing of their element they made a dash to get past us into the open water of the cano some dived but so buoyant are they that they can scarcely stay below a second and soon popped up on the surface again others scrambled rolled and squirmed along over the ooze on each side of us many making good progress and escaping we caught several and placed them in an aquarium for study when hard pressed in deep water these curious fish progress by a series of leaps up on their tail end and down again up and down again describing a series of curves and making very fast time when examined closely we see that these fish have only two eyes but these are divided in such a way that there appear to be double that number there are two distinct pupils one elevated above the head like the eyes of a frog the other separated by a band of tissue and below the water line so when the fish floats in its normal position at the surface the upper pupils fitted for vision in the air watch for danger above while the lower pair keeps a submarine lookout for insect food and aquatic enemies monkeys are perfectly at home in this land of branches 
the ever-cautious capuchins and now and then a long-limbed spider monkey swinging through the trees with as easy a motion as the flight of a bird biggest of all are the great red howlers who keep to the deeper more narrow channels and in the evening and again at dawn send their voices to the furthest limits of the mangroves they do not howl they roar and the sound is perfectly suited to such a wilderness as this before the first signs of day light up the east a low soft moaning comes through the forest like the forewarning of a storm through pine trees this gains in volume and the depth until it becomes a roar it is no wind now nor like anything one ever hears in the north it is a deep grating rumbling roar a voice of the tropics a hint of the long past ages when speech was yet unformed we grew to love the rhythm of this wild music and it will always be for us the memory-awakening sound of the tropical wilderness. The wealth of life in this region was evident when we began to explore a river flowing down from the highlands in the far-distant interior of Venezuela. We could spend a year here and not begin to exhaust the wonders on every hand. With every high tide, the captain would pull up anchor and shift our craft a little upstream until at last our keel touched bottom and we could go no further we anchored firmly and buoyed ourselves by ropes to the nearest trees so as to keep on an even keel this our home for a time was in a little bight of the guarapiche river where two tumbled down long deserted indian huts still retained the name of la ceiba we were so close to the left bank that at low tide we could walk ashore on oars laid down over the mud. Here the birds came and fed and bathed. Here the howling monkeys roared over our very heads, and macaws swung and shrieked at us. One night, during a heavy downpour of rain, we were suddenly awakened by a medley of cries, imprecations, shrieks, and yells. Flashing the strong electric bulb, we saw through the sheets of rain a very large curiara run afoul of our shoreline piled high with luggage with several screaming women perched high on the bundles and boxes four pigs tied feet upward swelled the chorus in their fear of a watery grave and four men told us what they thought of us in the present and where they hoped we would spend the future centuries until the world's end our captain, out of his hammock in a moment, and in tremendous basso profundo, he silenced all, save the pigs, and rapidly gave directions to our crew to row upstream against the swirling current, clear the curiara, and shift it out of the danger zone. Between breaths, he incidentally described minutely to the terrified natives what he knew would be the ultimate fate of such fools as tried to descend a river on the wrong side it was a miracle that the whole outfit did not overturn a narrow dugout measuring about twenty feet in length by two in width striking full force against a rope in the blackness of the storm early in the morning the roaring of the monkeys would awaken us 
and after a hasty breakfast we would start out in our little boat at this time everything is dripping and fresh with dew and there is a bite and tang in the air which reminds us of canadian dawns it is still dusk and the lines of mangroves on either side show only as black walls for some minutes hardly a sound breaks the stillness except for distant roars and the drip drip of our paddles then a sudden splashing and breaking of branches shows that we are discovered by a pair or more of capybaras hydrocorius capybara these enormous rodents which would pass as guinea pigs in gulliver's land of giants now an overhanging branch drenches us as we brush against it and as it is pushed aside a whole armful of orchids comes away the pure white blossoms epidendrum fragrance filling the caño with their sweetness now the delicate foliage of a palm is silhouetted for a moment against the brightening eastern sky and a mass of great convolvulus blossoms shines out from the shore by this we know that we are not many miles from dry ground and other growths are already beginning to dispute the dominance of the mangroves silence again to be broken by one of the most remarkable and startling outbursts of sound which any living creature in the world can utter a series of unconnected sighs shrieks screams and metallic trumpet-like notes suddenly breaking forth apparently within thirty feet is surely excuse enough for being startled the hubbub ceases as abruptly as it began then again it breaks out now seeming to come from all directions even from overhead the author of all this is the chachalaca a bird not larger than a common fowl but with a longer tail it spends most of its time on the ground or among the lower branches of the trees in the swamps it was seldom that we caught sight of one but we shall never forget the first time we heard their diabolical chorus the sun's rays now light up the narrow path of water ahead of us and a thousand creatures seem to awaken and give voice at once two splendid yellow and blue macaws fly overhead their screams softened by the distance a flock of great white-billed red-crested woodpeckers drum and call from the bank comes the rolling cry of the tinamou and the sweet penetrating double note of the sunbittern hummingbirds squeak in their flight as they shake the dewdrops from the orchids above us squirrels with fur of orange and gray scramble through the branches fleeing before the little capuchin monkeys then one after another three splendid swallow-tailed kites dash past us at full speed brushing the surface of the water and floating upward again swallows emerald and white catch the flies which hover near us a big yellow-breasted flycatcher alights for a moment on the bow of our boat and a tropical day is fairly begun these and a hundred other creatures about us bathe sing and seek their food during the fresh hours of early morning then as the sun rises higher and its heat draws a hush over all the notes of the birds die away leaving the insect vocalists supreme butterflies click here and there a loud humming tells of huge wasps 
winging their way on murderous missions but above all rises the chant of the cicadas the commonest of these grinds out harsh reverberating tones whirr, 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 rolling the r's in the first utterance for a minute or more then ending in a series of short abrupt whirs then another cicada a giant species sends his call through the jungle he has two strings to his bow one a half note higher than the other and on these he plays for five minutes at a time it is chinese music to the very tone sometimes his tune ends in a rising shriek and we know that one of the big blue wasps has descended on him and stabbed him in the midst of his love song the day wears on and even the cicadas become quiet the sun is overhead and the air full of tropical heat in the shade it is always comfortable and in the full glare of the sun one perspires so freely that the heat is hardly felt as we paddle lazily along a great tegu lizard teus nigropunctatus scrambles slowly along the bank now crawling over a muddy expanse now taking to the water to avoid a bushy tangle folding back his legs and swimming with long graceful sweeps of his tail as we watch him he leaps at several little crabs and catches them before they can escape into their holes we eat our luncheon in the shade of a clay bank the first hint of dry land we have seen along the cano and here we watch the little crocodiles basking in the sun and the crabs scuttling over the mud a bird of iridescent green and orange swoops down to our very faces and hangs swinging in a loop of a tiny liana on the face of the bank the next instant it vanishes into the earth darting into a hole hardly larger than the crab holes around it we have found the home of a jacamar at the end of the short tunnel are four round white eggs laid on the bare clay while examining the nest we hear at our very feet the terrible night noise the muffled choking sigh which has come to us every night since we entered the mangrove wilderness we are standing in our narrow dugout which the least movement will overturn and for an instant it is indeed a question whether we can control ourselves long enough to keep it from filling now the mystery solves itself as a large anaconda eunectus murinus nine or ten feet long slowly winds out from a hole in the bank beneath the surface of the water and slips into the depths of the muddy current then the tide laps a little lower and a big bubble of air caught in the entrance of the serpent's lair frees itself with a sudden gasping sob when the tide is rising or falling over these large openings in the mud the air escapes from time to time with the terrifying sound which has so long puzzled us our mysterious nocturnal creature is thus explained away in the prosaic light of day an hour later as our dugout rounds a sharp bend in the cano there comes to our ears a series of rasping cries hoarse and creaking as of unoiled wheels 
the glasses show a flock of large brown fowl-like birds in a clump of bushes overhanging the water their barred wings and tall delicate crests tell us that they are the bird of all others which we had hoped to see and study we are floating within a hundred feet of a flock of hoatzins these strange reptile-like living fossils which are found only in this part of the world and which are closely related to no other living bird as we draw near the birds flutter through the foliage as if their wings were broken we find that this is their usual mode of progression and for a most interesting reason soon after the young hoatzins are hatched and while yet unfledged they are able to leave the nest and climb about the branches and in this they are greatly aided by the use of the wings as arms and hands the three fingers of the wing are each armed with a reptile-like claw and at the approach of danger the birds climb actively about like squirrels or lizards it has usually been thought that when they grow up they lose all these reptilian habits and behave as conventional feathered bipeds should but we find that while of course the fingers are deeply hidden beneath the long flight feathers of the wing yet these very feathers are often used finger-like in forcing aside thick vines the birds thus clambering and pushing their way along it was with the keenest delight of the pioneer and discoverer that we watched these rare creatures although they do not nest until july and august yet we found them in the very trees and bushes which held the remains of last year's nests thus revealing their sedentary life during the rest of the year and day after day and week after week we learned to know that they would be found in this or that tree and nowhere else they were veritable feathered sloths they fed chiefly upon leaves but fish also entered into the bill of fare of at least one individual we shot two one for the skin and the other for the skeleton and we found the plumage in a very worn and ragged condition the wing feathers especially so where the branches and leaves had rubbed and worn away the barbs throughout the noonday heat these birds were also to be found in the foliage overhanging the water ready when disturbed to flop and thrash a few yards through the mangroves and bamboos after many days of pure delight our notebooks filled and our photographic plates more than half gone we decided to see something of the venezuelan dry land we would go on and on until we had left the mangroves with all their unpeopled mystery behind us and see what new surprises the village of the guarauno indians and the jungles of the foothills would afford at nine o'clock one night when the stars alone cast a faint weird light over everything we sent two of the crew ahead in the rowboat to keep our bow straight and then began a long night of noiseless drifting with the tide it was a night to remain forever in our memory the men relieved their monotonous towing with strange wailing chants on each side the mangroves slipped past black and menacing invisible creatures snorted and splashed in sudden terror as we rounded each turn 
Great fireflies burned on the trees and were reflected in the water, and to our ears came the roars of the four-handed folk, the calls and screams of night birds, the metallic clinks of insects, and ever the gasps and chokings of the serpents' burrows, hardly less sinister now that we had solved their mystery. Throughout all the night we passed up one cano, down another, past miles and miles of black foliage, all alike to us, almost indistinguishable in the starlight. Yet early next morning, as we rose to rout the cloud of mosquitoes about our headnets, the captain said in his soft Spanish tongue, the mountains of my country should be in sight ahead. And indeed, an hour later, as the day dawned, we could discern the blue haze in the north, which marked the highland out. Toucans, big muscovy ducks, and snake birds flew past us. Great brown woodpeckers and flights of parakeets swung across the cano. Dolphins played around us, but we heeded them little, all eager to press on and see the new land. So we sat far up in the bow and watched the mountains take form and the palms upon them become ever more distinct. From a land of mystery untrodden by man, we were soon to come upon a bit of land so prized by man that nations had almost gone to war over it. La Brea, the strange lake of pitch hidden in the heart of the forest with its strange birds and fish and animals lying on the borderland between the foothills of the northern Andes and the world of mangroves which for many days had held us so safely in its heart. End of chapter 1, part 2